Hello, and welcome to Entangled, the podcast where we explore the science of consciousness, the true nature of reality, and what it means to be a spiritual being having a human experience. I'm your host, Jordan Euclid, and today I'm joined by my friend, Dr. Paul Hubbard. Paul is the founder of the Institute for Holographic Sound and Inner Balance, holding a PhD in psychology and a master's in business administration and religion. In this episode, Paul and I discuss the modality of holographic sound, the blending of sound and sacred geometry, and how he has worked with this healing modality in grief counseling and beyond. We next discuss the Hathors, fifth dimensional beings who are masters of sound, music, and love, and the impact they have had on Paul's journey, as well as the ancient Egyptian civilization. We next discuss the Atlantean civilization and their use of a crystal grid system. We question why mainstream science remains dismissive of the modalities of sound healing and crystal energies. Then we examine the Great Pyramid of Giza, how the pyramidal structure was able to generate energy, and the Ascension Chamber and the King's Chamber. We talk about Paul's relationship with spiritual traditions during his childhood and the experiences that led him to start incorporating belief systems into grief counseling. We end the discussion exploring the mystery school teachings, the reality of the imagination, and our recent trip to Petra. Outros available for this and all episodes available at entangledpodcast.substack.com. Music from the show available on the Spotify playlist, Entangled the Vibes. Please enjoy. So good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Entangled. I am very excited today to be joined by my friend, Dr. Paul Hubbard. Dr. Paul, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Jordan? Doing great. Thank you. Really excited to get to interview you today. Likewise. Glad to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So I got to know Dr. Paul very recently on just an incredible trip across Egypt and Jordan. And it was just, you know, really for me, a, quite a life-changing experience. Um, but, you know, I think before we get into all that, would love to just hear about your background, Paul, and really, you know, how you got into the whole uh, healing modality of holographic sound. Well, I wish I could say it was a short, a short story, but uh, I'll make it as short as I can. Um, my background originally is in psychology. And I've done counseling, uh, mainly working with families and working with uh, um, adolescents, young adults, along the lines of addictions. And I've, I've done that for many, many years. Around the late 80s, I began to get more and more involved in working with the belief system and in um, uh, grief recovery work, like post-traumatic stress, that kind of thing, uh, along with grief caused by anything, by um, death or loss of whatever. Um, it's actually grief is a whole nother, <laughs> a whole nother rabbit hole we could go down, but I won't. So uh, in 1991, I got a message from Spirit, and the message was, if you don't start using your voice, you're going to regret it for the rest of your life. And that, that uh, disturbed me a bit, you know, because that terrified me. And, um, but nonetheless, uh, what, what made me uh, less comfortable was the, the regret. So I began to take steps to move into working with my voice, first with singing and then through a, a, 
a, a few experiences, realized it wasn't so much about singing, it was about using the voice and using sound for purposes of healing. And uh, so that sent me down a path. And I began to take and incorporate the sound. First, I, I worked quite a bit with my voice still, uh, along with the, you know, the singing and stuff like that, just because it's good exercise for the voice. And <clears throat> around 1995, I discovered these things that are called crystal bowls. And I, I know you're familiar with those, and I'm sure many, many of your audience are as well. And I, I first heard one and I thought, what in the world is this thing and where do I get one? And so I got one and then two and three and four. And I began to take and incorporate the sound into all the other work that I was doing, into the belief system work, into the grief recovery work. Because what I found is that the sound, the sound, the sound vibration would take and move people it would allow people to go more deeply, more quickly into whatever the work was that they were doing. And so, as I said, I just began incorporating it into everything else I was doing. In 1999, I took my first group to Egypt. And it was very transformative. And I wasn't... Uh, I. I knew that I was attracted, but I wasn't, I, I, I didn't realize just how attracted and how integral the Egyptian essence and energy is to the work that I do. And <clears throat> so anyhow, I, um, after that first trip, when I got back about a month or so later, I was invited to go up to Canada to do a training. And the training was around the belief system, but it was a, the, the training belief system integrated with sound. And the woman hosting said, can you add an extra day to the training and do something with the Hathors? And I said, sure. Now, the Hathors, that's a whole other story as well. They, uh, they're guides, they're masters. They're known as masters of sound and love. They're fifth dimensional beings. So <clears throat> those of you that are kind of on the fringes, expand your consciousness a little bit when I talk about fifth dimensional beings and beings in higher, higher consciousness levels. Anyhow, I, I said, sure, I would, I'd be happy to, but I had no idea what I was going to do. And so a few days later, I checked in with my guides and all I had to do was ask. And they just began to download all this information to me about around and about sound. And <clears throat> the sound, as they downloaded more and more information, they said this is to be known as or is known as holographic sound. Hence the name of my company, the name of the work that I do, the name that I teach. And so that's where it began. And that was uh, 99 to 2000, right in that time period. And that's when, at least in our day and time, that's where the holographic sound was first born. So, and from that point, it's just snowballed.
you know, as far yeah. as uh, new information around it and and activations and utilization and its purposes, what it can be used for, which is pretty much limited and uh, limitless. Um, and so on. And that brings us on up to present time. And that's how yeah. I got involved. And those are some of the the key points for me that that keep me on this path. And holographic wow. holographic sound is I've done many things. I'm a Reiki master teacher. Uh, I've done reconnective healing. I've done uh, body work or body talk. Um, I've, I've done lots of different things besides my traditional uh, teachings in psychology. And I tell you, I have found nothing more powerful than the holographic sound. I mean, it just, it's phenomenal. I've had some extraordinary experiences in utilizing the holographic sound, and it's virtually compatible with everything else I've found out there as well. Wow. Yeah, no, I mean, I've got a lot of questions off the bat. I think one in particular is what, what does it mean when you say holographic? Like what, what makes the sound holographic? Good question. Uh, holographic sound is working with sound multidimensionally. So using sound multidimensionally and how we do that is through a blending of sound and sacred geometry. And through geometric techniques, we're able to open the sound up into its multidimensional form. Into its In that form, we can literally hit every level of consciousness. So there's nothing left, nothing left untouched when we're working holographically. And you mentioned, right, Hathor as being fifth dimensional beings. So maybe you could um, expand on the whole idea of reality existing in more dimensions and what that means for sacred geometry as well. Well, there's uh, if if we look at at physics, particularly quantum physics, there's two there's two particular terms that I want to touch on, and those are the implicate and the explicate order of things. And the explicate order is everything that we see in our third dimensional life, uh, our senses, uh, feeling, any visuals, whatever. That's part of the explicate order. The explicate order, according to physics, makes up about 1% to 10% to of our electromagnetic spectrum. 1% to 10% is what we are actually experiencing around us. The implicate order, that's the 90 to 99% everything else. So bottom line is everything exists right here and right now. All the dimensions, whether it's third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth, on, they all exist right here and right now. These these beings or energies that we call ascended masters, angels, um, however you want to term them, they're all right here. They're not anywhere else. They're not up there or down there. They're right here. And that's all according to the implicate order. That's all according to physics, that it it all exists right here and right now. And the Hathors, being known as fifth dimensional beings, they, 
they work in a, they're not visible to us. It, it, unless you're clairvoyant, then you can, and on occasion, you know, they'll, they'll pop in and I'll get a vision or of their presence. But yeah. for me, they're always present. Mm-hmm. They're always mm-hmm. here because I'm always working with them. Yeah. And so the Hathors, they're not from earth. They don't come from this, this realm. They were invited to come and work with humans by the Ascended Master Sanat Kamara. Now, Sanat Kamara is, he's known as the planetary logos when it comes to Ascended Masters. He's known as the Ancient of Days. He's the Ascended Master who has worked with humans and worked with Earth longer than any others that we know of. And he invited the Hathors to come work with us. And from their realm, from their planet, their universe, they came and first came and stopped and moved through Sirius, which is a a water system. And they trained with dolphins and whales. And then from there to Venus for more training and then to Earth. And they're again, they're known as masters of sound and love. They're androgynous in their nature. They present in a masculine or feminine form, but in perfect balance. We should be so lucky, you know, to, to be in a level of balance in like they are. And they range from about 12 to 18 feet tall. They're very tall in... If you've ever seen the movie Avatar, and I'm sure a lot of you will be seeing the, the new movie Avatar, I think it comes out the 16th, actually uh, Friday, I think. But anyhow, in, in a bit of uh, their stature is very similar, height-wise, uh, tall, slender beings. Their ears are even very similar to the Avatar uh, those uh, those beings, uh, but I'm not saying that that that's who they are. I'm saying the similarity. So they came and in working with us, they also are. They're they're very um, joyful beings, a very joyful, loving energy, and they're all about working with with sound working with the heart vibration, working with the feeling body. And they like to have fun. They like to dance and play and mess with you in a good way. Um, they, uh, they work with other masters. For me, I'm one of my guides. I don't, well, I won't get into that. Uh, one of my guides is Archangel Michael. And, the, and others that I work with and, uh, you know, when their services are what's right for a moment. Um, but the Hathors work very closely with the angels, I've noticed. They're, um, they're, they're just, they, they vibrate similarly. Another unique thing about the Hathors is that they have lived third dimensional life and they ascended as a race which is a a very similar path as to what we as humans are on, is to ascend as a race of beings. 
And I've, I don't know when this is going to be finished, but I've got a book that's, that's going to be coming out about the Hathors and about their ascension and some of the parallels and similarities that we can look for there and, and possibly aspire to. They've got so much to offer us in their experience as in moving through their ascension process. So absolutely. Yeah. They're, they're just amazing beings to work with. Yeah. And um, I may be misremembering, but don't they also play a pretty prominent role in um, the story of ancient Egypt and and their development as a civilization? Yeah, absolutely. They uh, going through Egypt. In fact, there's a, a temple of Hathor there. And uh, several other temples where you'll find sculptings of Hathors throughout the temples. They're in the hieroglyphs, um, very prominent in those earlier days of Egypt. And um, here, prominent in that they were visible, even though they were in a higher dimensional place, so were we as humans at that time. And as, as we as we transcended or moved from the Atlantean times into Egyptian time, we were, we were experiencing a a drop in our vibration and it's not, it's not a bad thing. It's just the way it works. You know, we, we, as, as humanity, as consciousness, we, we just swing back and forth on this pendulum, and it's about a 26,000-year cycle that this pendulum swings. And in those early days of Egypt, the Hathors were still present visibly. They, they were etheric in their presence, but still clearly visible for humans. But as the vibration dropped, they became less and less visible because we couldn't you know, we were dropping. They weren't doing anything. We were dropping in vibration. And as well as eventually not being able to see the Hathors in their presence, we also lost the ability to use holographic sound. Because holographic sound, it's not new. It's been around for eons. We just lost the ability to use it because our vibration had dropped so low. And then we went through what we know as the Dark Ages, which were pretty dark. And then coming through that time, then we slowly began to rise again in our vibration. And around 1999 to 2000, we hit a pivotal point in our vibration. And pivotal meaning that a lot of things began to shift within us. Uh, the energies began to increase again. The frequencies began to shift. And when I talk about the frequencies, I talk about the energy centers or the chakras. And they began to shift in their vibrational energy. And that also equates to the color of the chakras because that color began to shift along with the frequency. So there are higher vibrational energetic colors that go with our chakra system now because of that change that's that's occurred. And another thing that occurred during that time is the Hathors became, they became, uh, well, they're still periodically visible, but 
but not like they were in those earlier Egyptian days. But we're getting there. And our vibration, even though it doesn't look like it, when you look around the world, it's like, are you serious? Are, you're saying our vibration is rising? Ha! <laughs> well, it is. And the reason all these things are happening around the world is because the vibration is rising. You know, if you look at us individually, when our vibration, our individual vibration rises, it brings things to the surface. Emotional stuff, typically. And when, when it does that, it's bringing it to the surface so, with, so that we can transform it, so that we can shift it. And the same thing is happening with our Earth. You know, yeah. we're going through such a chaotic time. But yet, I, my sense and my feeling just a very, very recently, we've begun to rise above the chaos, which is really cool. Um, I mean, it's like the chaos, it's still going on. But there's something, something has shifted. And we're, it seems, being able to step out of it a bit, still view it and see it going on, but be able to step out of it so that we're not so affected by it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, you know, as you talk about us coming out of the um, dark ages, right, I think in a lot of ways, structurally, economically, we haven't really evolved that far out of it, right? And while we have advanced technologically, a lot of that has been focused on weapons development, right? And, and not focused on healing. And, and I think you're right that we're getting to that point where maybe our spiritual development is finally surpassing our, our technological development. Or, or at least catching up. Yeah, <laughs> at least catching up. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, we have, uh, and I... Some information came through uh, actually this morning around the the book I mentioned around the Hathors and about their struggles with technology while they were going through their time and, and eventually moving into their ascension. And they struggled with it as well. And uh, they found a solution. But you have to read the book. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. And, you know, you talked about Atlantis as well. And, you know, I think it's obviously um, a hotly debated topic about what actually happened in Atlantis. But, you know, I think is there a somewhat of a consensus that, you know, they also had similar struggles with technology and that could have helped to, you know, facilitate their demise as a civilization, too? Well, yes, in part. Um, their technology was very different than what we experience today, though. Their technology was far advanced. And <clears throat> the thing is, is they, they got into a power struggle. And because of the power struggle, that, that was, while I would say their d demise, but it's not particularly their demise. It just happened to be going on as the entire planet was shifting and changing. You know, and I'm looking at it, the, the shifts and changes of the planet that were going on, or that was going on, um, part of the struggle was to, to try and circumvent that 
And there were disagreements on how to make that happen. And the thing is, is they never resolved it. And because of the non-resolution, evolution took its took took the high road or took took place. And in in that occurring, Atlantis went under for the most part. There are still little strips of Atlantis that exist. Um, most of it is underwater, though. Even even grid work around the continent. And there were many, not just, there was one large continent of Atlantis, but there were also like satellites in a sense that were part of the, the Atlantean structure. But the entire system was gridded. And when I say gridded, I mean connected, crystal-wise, they were gridded. And um, some of those grid points are still present. Interesting. Could you talk more about that? What, what does that mean, like a crystal grid? Well, crystal grid, it, it's actually set up in a geometric uh, structure. And <clears throat> it's not just the fact that there are crystals laid out in different places. It's how they are um, um, energetically <clears throat> tied together to work as a, as a unit, as a, a oneness of the crystal of the energy and by doing that the the energy that's created is amplified a thousand times i mean it's you you can you can we can still do i you know i actually teach work around this you know we can still do grid work and and energize activate and and tie the crystals together um and use those for many, many purposes, and one being healing, or or um, or complementing healing that we're doing, or transformation that we're doing. But the 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 grid work around Atlantis, it was tied together. You're familiar with the Bermuda Triangle. Well, one of the the huge crystals that was a part of the original grid. That's why we have all these issues with the Bermuda Triangle. That's wild, yeah. It's because it's it's kind of haywire. It's, it's like halfway working, you know, we're getting half of the experience. Um, and it's, so it's very disrupted. You know, it's not a balanced, when you take a grid and you tear it apart, then the energy becomes very unbalanced. And that's what we that's what we see there. That's what we see in the Bermuda Triangle is a very unbalanced energy. So we have all these weird anomalies that are occurring. Yeah, interesting. You know, I'm curious as you talk about both crystals and you talk about um, sound healing, both of which have clearly you know been able to show very powerful energetic effects like i'm curious why you think um conventional science or you know mainstream science doesn't treat either of these modalities seriously well um a couple things they are beginning to you know little bits and pieces they're starting to see if they can't measure it they don't agree with it they can't if they can't quantify it then it doesn't exist. 
That's the problem with science. They, you know, thank God we have the science that we have, but they need to open their imaginations a little bit more, you know? And the possibilities that can exist. Um, so that's, that's the thing, you know, that I see with science is that they, again, if they can't prove it, then it doesn't exist. And even though I, I've had experiences, I've had people experience tremendous transformations physically and emotionally through the holographic sound work. But can, uh, you know, can you get science to quantify it? Nah, not mm -hmm. yet. Mm -hmm. It's, but it's getting, I think we'll get there. Yeah. I think we are too. We're getting closer. Yeah. There are certain instruments that are available now. They tend to be fairly expensive, but that are yeah. available that can measure the frequencies of the body as, as I was just going to say, like, I think Joe Dispenza uses those a lot, like the gas visualization devices, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's I'm, wild. I'm, yeah, I'm not real familiar with those, but, okay, you know, however we can measure is a good thing. And, yeah. and it, another thing about science is that when they do find a frequency that they feel is is um, effective and workable they um they'll take that frequency and put it across the board for everyone you know like uh, let's say working with the heart and they'll there'll be a particular frequency that uh, that brings the heart into ryth rhythmic balance and so they they take that frequency and decide that that frequency will work with everyone and it doesn't because the thing is is everyone is different you know everybody's different and each when we we're different from day to day i mean the frequencies will tend to stay close to one another but they change and see, that's one of the beauties of when you're working with sound and sound transformation or healing, however you want to refer to it. That's one of the beauties of using the voice is because the voice is the only limitation is how high you can go and how low you can go. Because everything within those parameters, you can hit those frequencies. You're not limited by... Um, just this hurts right here. You can do this hurts and then bend it a little bit and get to whatever's right for a specific person. So, and you, you can't do that with, um, well, you can to some degree, but not like, not like what you can with the voice. I mean, the voice, yeah, the voice can, can make changes and, and shift notes more freely than any other instrument I've seen. And, and then taking and blending the other piece that science misses is the intuitive aspect. Because when we're, when we're working with sound intuitively, then we're receiving our information from what I would say a higher consciousness level or place, not from a... Um, 
uh, a human-designed technology. And so science, you know, they'll, they would have bonk, you know, they would go bonkers with that statement. <laughs> you know, we'd be going back and forth on that one. But that's what I've experienced is, you know, when you, when you take, when you, when you take the voice and move it into that realm of, of sound transformation, healing therapy, however you want to call it then there's really little or no limitation as to what you can do. And you can blend whatever instruments that you want to blend into that as well, because you can still take and, and tweak those frequencies and bend them when you need to. Hmm. Wow. So that, you know, leads me naturally to think about the resonation uh, chamber and the King's chamber. And so, yeah, I would love if you make, maybe talk a little bit about what is the King's chamber and what was that used for? Well, the King's chamber, not just the King's chamber, but the pyramid structure. The pyramid structure, there was a time where the Nile flowed much closer to particularly the Great Pyramid. And... Part of the purpose originally of the pyramids, particularly there are pyramids that are copies, and then there are the pyramids that are the originals. And in, in referring to that, I'm talking about the Great Pyramid in particular. And it acted essentially as a generator of energy because of its because of its structure and and what that structure provided and the fact that the water that flowed through the Nile and how close it was and how it could interact with the pyramidal structure and that created energy and in a sense like electrical energy mm -hmm. and so the pyramid could be utilized for it's almost like electrostatic in a way yeah. Or? Yeah, huh. or electrolysis in a sense. Uh -huh. And uh -huh. so the pyramid could be used for that purpose. But as well, when we move up to the king's chamber, in the king's chamber, there is a sarcophagus. Now, there's one thing about the pyramids, all of the pyramids, they have never found a mummy in any of the pyramids except one. And that one is a very... This may be an arbitrary term, but an archaic pyramid. I, they're all kind of archaic, but known as the, the step pyramid in Saqqara. And we're pretty clear on who designed it, who built it, and there was a mummy found in that pyramid. But that's the only one of all the pyramids that we've discovered. That's the only one where there was actually a mummy inside. So back to the sarcophagus. The sarcophagus, it's, it's a multi-term in that the sarcophagus is used as a, um, in terminology, it's used to describe a coffin on one hand. But on the other hand, the sarcophagus is an ascension chamber. And that's how it was used in the Great Pyramid, as an ascension chamber. And it doesn't mean that a person's leaving the planet. 
although it is possible, you know, because it's uh, it's like a vortex of energy. And the sarcophagus at one time in the Great Pyramid was in the middle of the room in alignment with the the vortex energy of the pyramid. So the pyramids, it's no mistake that they were built the way they were built. They, they lay on a golden mean spiral. They align with Orion. They align with Sirius. And so as the sarcophagus is in the middle of the room, it, it could be used for energizing the body. It can be used as a portal to move into other places, other dimensional realms or whatever. And back in the 80s, there were some weird things that were going on in the king's chamber. And so the Egyptians moved the sarcophagus. They moved it out of the the specific vortex area and moved it over to one side of the room. They left it there and moved it. And because there were the, there were anomalies that were occurring, and they were afraid, you know, they were afraid of they didn't they definitely didn't want uh, um, tourists coming and <laughs> and you know disappearing or whatever might happen. So they moved the the sarcophagus to the side of the room. Now, what's fascinating is. In the room to go in and to lay in the sarcophagus, there are certain tonal frequencies that you can hit that will, for me, it's a low tone, but it's a particular tone. And when that, when that, when I hit that tone within the sarcophagus, it's like everything around just disappears. It's like you're in, in a void. In a manner of speaking, it's like that. That happened to me for a second in the king's chamber. It yeah. was wild. It's just a second, though, and here's here's why: because the human voice, while we think we're sitting on a particular tone or frequency or note, we're actually fluctuating, and it's very hard to keep it on that one solid tone. And that one, and once we find it, and it's it's hard to. First off, we use half of our breath just trying to find it, you know, and, and then we're out of breath. And but when you do find it for that amount of time and are able to stick on it, to stay on it, it's like everything. It's like being in an ocean of. Um, of oh God, of I don't I don't like to use the word void because it sounds kind of negative. Sense, but it's it's not empty. It's like a um, it's like a sense of oneness with everything. Did uh, you remember the movie Powder? Ah, well, it was very cool. But the very end of it, this this boy that was um, the main main person. I think I think they called him Powder. I think that was. The name that they used, but he was running, and all of a sudden he just dissolved into light, like uh, like uh, uh, ripples of light, 
it went out. And it's not like he went into the void. He went into the oneness of everything. And that's what it feels like when we hit that specific tone. And everybody's got their own tone. You know, the tone that works for me may not work for you and probably doesn't. And so everyone has their specific tonal frequency that activates that energy within the sarcophagus. And it's just like rippling out in an ocean of oneness, of, of not nothingness, but of everythingness. It's really amazing. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's so wild. And like, um, it, it makes me think of this whole idea that like consciousness itself is its own dimension that transcends space and time. So it's like, it's such a inversion of how like the materialist viewpoint of reality works, but it's just when you start to, like you said, have a little bit more imagination with this, it's, it's really incredible. Yeah, it really is. It really, you, the imagination is imperative. You know, the, the imagination is literally the seed of creation. It's, it's that doorway that spirit uses to, you know, to bring um, uh, that higher consciousness information into our current awareness. And it's, I mean, it's literally that doorway. And you, you look at all the inventors uh, uh, around the earth, everything that they have manifest and that we have manifest on this earth, it all begins in the imagination. And then from the imagination, we're able to move it into physical being, into physical presence. You know, it's like even in the writings of creation, it says, first was the word. The word is sound vibration. And then from the word, all things were created. Well, they still are. From that vibration. And that, that comes through the imagination. The imagination is the doorway that spirit uses or that universal consciousness uses to move into our third dimensional expression in earth or on earth. Yeah, interesting. You know, and it um, it also makes you think of this idea of, of time as not being this linear thing, right? Because we experience time linearly and, you know, we live in this society that has this ego and thinks we're the most technologically advanced that's ever lived. But, you know, something that some idea that's really resonated with me recently is that time is actually much more cyclical. And, you know, you kind of talk about these 26,000 year cycles. And so I don't know, that's don't really have necessarily a question there, but would love to get your thoughts on all that. Well, time, time is a tough one. And it's a hard one to get your head around uh, for me, you know, because <clears throat> again, according to physics, time, it all exists right here, right now as well. So um, past lives, they're all going on now. We just use the linear because, you know, we'd probably get lost in space otherwise, you know. So we use that, that this concept of, of linear time to be able to keep track of things. And, <clears throat> I mean, it's just think about the idea that everything is happening right now. You know, that everything is going on right now. Um, all around us 
And it's a little bit hard to wrap your head around, you know, the idea that 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 past life that I have little tidbits of memory of is existing and going on right now. You know, that I was burned at the stake right now, (laughs) you know, or uh, had that whatever. And not only in the past, but in the future. We just happen to be focused on the here and now, which is why we experience the things the, the way that we're experiencing from day to day to day. So, uh, you know, I wish I could, I wish I knew more about that, but it's, uh, it's a, a concept that I haven't fully, you know, wrapped my head around just yet. Yeah, it's, it's wild. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I would love to go back to uh, something you mentioned in your introduction where you talked about how, you know, you work in um, in addiction treatment centers and that sort of thing. And then you decided to um, add in belief system work to your practice. So I would love to know, A, you know, did you grow up with the spiritual tradition? And then B, how did you decide eventually to start incorporating that into your work? Well, did I grow grow up with a spiritual tradition? Uh, yes and no. Uh, when I was a kid, like first three years in school, I went to an Episcopal school. Went to Mass a couple, two or three times a week. Um, never, never particularly bought into it, but I found it being interesting. You know, I, I picked stuff up and I remember stuff from that time that uh, that is usable in this day and time. But do I ascribe to that overall? No, I don't. And then when I was about eight years old, my mom, after I stopped going to the, uh, the Episcopal school, my mom started going to this uh, um, spiritualist church. And I don't know if you're familiar with what that is, but I mean, they're way out there. And, uh, you know, they have channelers and psychics and all this stuff that, um, you know, that's just average stuff in the church. And I remember sitting and there was a guest speaker at at, uh, one of the, it was an evening service. I was there with my mom and there was this guest speaker and he had... um, uh, he had everyone write if they had a question to write it down on a piece of paper and then use an initial or something, a number to identify them and then fold it up and they pass a hat around and brought it all up to him. And so he he picks these papers up and then gives people, you know, says what their question is and then gives them his uh, his channeled information about their question. Here's the interesting thing. He never opened the papers up. He never physically read. He just knew it and then then gave whatever information that he got around it. And I thought, well, this is pretty trippy. (laughs) And, um, And then my mom, you know, she was a little bit out there. Uh, 
started the minister from the church and her his wife and another friend of my mom's, they started having seances at my house. And uh, they invited me to sit in with them and I wouldn't do it. I, I would sit on the couch and I would watch and observe. And things happened. And it was our house, you know, they were sitting at our table. So I know there were no gimmicks, but things occurred. And I just took all this in. Are you able to provide any examples? No, not really. I mean, just table moving and uh, questions being answered, that kind of thing. And um, I never, I didn't, never saw anything. I just, you know, there were knocks, indications and all that. And I would look and see if somebody was, you know, doing something and they weren't. And so after that, I went on and became a teenager and went on my wild and crazy journey and uh, got involved in a lot of things. Uh, uh, My mom was a single mom. My dad was an alcoholic and he was rarely present. They were divorced when I was seven or eight. And, um, And I literally went down a pretty wild and crazy path. And when I was 24 is when that shifted because I was so deep into, um, well, I had an, I, I was into my own addiction stuff and was so deep into it. It, it, it was to the point of something needed to change or I was going to die. I had already had a a couple of near-death experiences um, that I just didn't talk about. I just brushed them off because, you know, they they interfered with (laughs) the path I was on at the time. But 24, that changed. And I I stopped everything. It was almost like I... I had a new life, you know, or it was definitely a new chapter. And um, I stopped doing everything, the, the drugs, the alcohol, everything. I stopped. And the path shifted, and that led me into dealing with my own addiction. And uh, in short time, I began working in the field of addiction and started going through basic counseling work and all of that stuff. And, you know, then that, you know, as time went on, that led me through. I was a director of a treatment program in Dallas, Texas uh, for a few years and also working with that program and then later moved on to uh, moved to Los Angeles. I was out there for 17 years working in the treatment field um, and ran treatment programs there. And as I mentioned, the to kind of dovetailing that into the belief system work, <clears throat> the belief system literally dictates everything we say, everything we feel, everything we think, everything we do. It's all based on our belief system. And when it comes to the, that patterning the, of the belief system, 
By the time we're five years old, 75% of our belief system is developed. Five years old, 75%. By the time we're late teens into uh, 20, maybe 21, another 20% is developed. That's 95% of the belief system done by the time we're around 20. That leaves us 5% for the rest of our lives, unless we consciously go in and make changes. But otherwise, it's like what's done is done. And the problem with what's done is done is a lot of it is misinterpreted. So, um, and a lot of it isn't necessarily misinterpreted, but it begins to work against us. For instance, let's say you experienced abuse as a child, uh, whether it's physical, sexual, emotional, whatever. You know, it can, it doesn't matter. It can all be one as traumatic as the other. And the thing is, we, what we do is we'll put up walls, we'll put up blocks. And in, in uh, spiritual terms, we fragment part of our soul. But in, in uh, more um, therapeutic terms, we put up walls and, and blocks. And what happens, and, and we do those to, to protect ourselves to survive, because otherwise we can't survive, or we don't think we can, and probably it's true. We probably couldn't because of the, such a traumatic experience. And so we put up these walls. And what occurs, though, is as we get older and we get into our 20s and start having possibly normal, more normal interactions with people, a lot of times it'll come up where it's like, well, why can't I get closer to people? Why do I always um, go this far in a relationship and then stop? You know, or what is it? What What is it that causes, um, what is, what's my resistance or block to being abundantly wealthy? You know, it, and the thing is, is what they are or the, it's caused by those experiences that occurred way back when, and then we build beliefs around those experiences. So the beliefs, my work is not so much about changing directly change. It's, it is about changing the belief, but it's not about focusing on the belief it's about focusing on what created the belief. And then in transforming our perception of that belief, we can then transform the belief itself. And so that's the work, you know, is, is transforming those beliefs and resolving the old uh, traumas, you know, and, 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 they're not always just old traumas either, because we have people experiencing PTSD. We have people that coming back from um, wherever, Afghanistan, Iraq, all of that that are, that are going through, and I'm a veteran as well, uh, that's, that's going through post-traumatic stress and don't know how to move beyond it. And it's the same process. 
the thing is, the interesting thing is it doesn't stop just at what was experienced in that immediate trauma. There was actually a seed that was planted way back when. And then that trauma that occurred later on, it just piggybacked on top of it and mm -hmm. created the PTSD that you might be experiencing now. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that story. That's, that's quite an incredible journey. Yeah, it's been an incredible journey. It's been yeah. multiple journeys in one lifetime, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's been a trip for sure. And see, the beauty with all of that, the beauty of the holographic sound is that through bringing and blending that process into the more traditional work, oh, I mean, the, the potential, the possibilities are unlimited. I mean, yeah. because we can move through it so much quicker when we bring the sound vibration aspect yeah. to it. That's what's so cool about That's it. That's so interesting. And can we talk about that a little more? And I, I saw on your website too that you also do hypnosis. And I imagine that's kind of a similar idea, right? Where you're helping to get that consciousness into those deeper areas. But yeah, we'll love well, to hear your thoughts. It is. And the thing about the hypnosis, again, what I've, what I've, um, how I take and use that now is I do simple hypnosis techniques with people to better ready them to receive the sound. Interesting. So moving, the, moving a person into a place of greater receptivity where the sound can go in even more quickly and more deeply to do whatever work it can do and to do the transformations that we, you know, that we're hoping and looking for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the very complementary modalities, very complementary, very complementary. And I just, I don't do hypnosis um, exclusively uh, freestanding. I, I never did that much. I did some, but now it's, it's always blending the, the hypnosis aspects or techniques with the sound vibration. Yeah. And have you found that to be um, like, I guess what ha, anecdotally, like what are your thoughts on, you know, before you were using the sound healing with people who had addiction and PTSD uh, trauma versus now that you have incorporated it, like, have you seen a pretty significant difference? I have. And the difference comes in, the time it takes for things for for things to shift that's one of the key things that is prevalent um also being able to you know it, at home when i'm not traveling i do a sound meditation uh once a month and i live in austin texas and i do a sound meditation once a month and I, I do it in person, but I also live stream it currently and have been for really pretty long time. And <clears throat> invariably, I'll have people comment afterwards. I've never been able to go so deep before or I've, I've never really been able to effectively meditate. But 
I couldn't not meditate through this experience. It's like it just takes them in with, with of course, they're, they're going to like it or they most likely wouldn't be there. But in a sense, it takes, it takes them in whether they like it or not. The staff, it's just so amazing. You know, it still, it, it still amazes me time after time because it continues to work over and over and over. And of course, that makes sense. I mean, we're vibration, we're energy. You know, our bodies are like a symphony of sound, all the frequencies and vibrations in them. So, of course, they're going to resonate to the sound. You know, when you, when you hear a song, a particular song, um, just notice how it will take you to a place or take you to a memory. And sometimes that may be a sad memory. Sometimes it may be an exciting, happy memory. There's, there's this one particular song that whenever I hear it, it just totally energizes me. I mean, I feel like I could take on the world when this, this particular song plays. I mean, it's just sound, the music, whether it's, whether it's toning, whether it's toning in crystal bowls, whether it's music traditionally. I mean, there's channeled energy in all of them. Not, not to say that all of them have that channeled energy, but there are there is music out there that is that is clearly channeled from a higher source. Uh huh. Uh huh. I'm curious, what's the song that uh, that makes you feel like you you know you can do anything? <laughs> um, it's a it's a song by a band called Supertramp, and the song is um, "School" is the name of the song. Awesome. I'm pretty sure. We'll have to check that out. Yeah. Um, and it starts, and on the, it starts slow, you know, and then builds. And then by the time you're done, it's like, man, you're just flying, you know? Yeah. It's cool. Awesome. Awesome. Um, and then also on the uh, the sound meditations, you mentioned that there's a, uh, a recorded uh, meditation you've done that we could possibly share at the end of this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. I, I, I've prepared about a 10, 12 minute uh, sound meditation, sound healing experience for every Yeah. Year. Awesome. I, I think everyone's going to really love to hear that. Um, and then going back to, uh, you know, the crystal sound bowls, my uh, very, very layman's understanding is that they're generally uh, meant to resonate with our different chakras. Is that is that accurate or not? Not it's, so much. No, it's accurate, but it's loose. It's a it's loosely accurate. The um, the chakra system, and we've laid it out as working on a C scale, and C scale meaning that the root chakra resonates to a C note, and then the sacral to a D, the solar plexus to an E, the heart to an F, throat to a G the third eye to an A and the crown to a B. Now, that's a very loose reference. And you will find some that resonate a little differently than following that. But it, it's kind of like we had to have something to work with. And so that's what we've chosen to, to use and to 
uh, to kind of model after is that that C scale. And typically working from the fourth octave of the C scale. But truth is, is uh, when it comes to the crystal bowls, you pretty much can't go wrong. You know, the, the thing with the sound vibration, and one, one of the important factors when you're working with sound is setting an intention. And setting a, a clear intention, and the sound vibration will follow that intention. It will fill and follow that intention that's set. So those are the two key things in working with the sound vibration is the intention that you've set and bringing through the heartfelt sounds that that come through, through intuitively. So those two keys, if you're coming from a place of unconditional love and creating the sound vibration with a focused intention, you're in good shape. Hmm. That's awesome. So another topic that we haven't touched on yet, but has been really interesting to me of late is uh, the whole idea of um, the ancient mystery school teachings. Uh-huh. And so would love if you could talk about, you know, how you got introduced to those and, you know, what, what that means to you. Well, <clears throat> the ancient mystery school teachings, which past life are we talking about? <laughs> That's a great question. I've, uh, I've had experience working with the mystery schools in Lemuria, in Atlantis, in Egypt, and throughout our, our present time, uh, you know, present timeline, and in this lifetime. And the mystery schools, they're overseen by the ascended master known as Horus. And you'll, you'll hear in Egyptian talk, you'll hear of the eyes of Horus or the eye of Horus, the left eye, the right eye, and the middle eye. And to, just to give you an idea of that particular teaching, the right eye ties into the left brain. The right eye teachings came first. To, to bring forth the, the, uh, the technical teaching, the technical information to help satisfy that left brain so that can, it can open more to the creative essence and the energy of the left eye teaching, which deals with the right brain. So the right eye teachings, left brain came first, and then the left eye, right brain teachings came next. And again, that's the intuitive teaching, the intuitive essence, the intuitive energy, the God self essence and energy, and the creativity of the imagination. The imagination exists within that, that intuitive side, with that, um, uh, that creative energy, that creative essence. And that's why it's so important to see so many of us. Um, we've been we've been taught that the um, uh, that the imagination is not real. You know that it's something that's imaginary. You know that it doesn't really exist. And again, everything that's been manifest on this earth first started in someone's imagination. You look at Henry Ford, for instance. You know, and, and if he was not able to imagine the automobile like he did, we wouldn't have cars like we have today. 
I don't know what we would have, but it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be, yeah, it would be different if we had them. And with the Wright brothers, you know, and the, the Kitty Hawk, their plane, if they were not able to imagine the Kitty Hawk flying, it would have never gotten off the ground. You know, we, we wouldn't be in planes like we are today. I mean, everything first starts in the imagination. And we've been um, programmed so, so much so to not believe that the imagination is real. And the thing is, it's every bit as real as you and I talking right now. So my, my encouragement to anybody listening is don't ignore your imagination. Don't deny it. Acknowledge it as that seed of creation, that doorway that creation uses to move into your physical presence, your physical consciousness. Because that's, that's what it is. I mean, you want to, you want to have financial wealth? Well, imagine yourself having financial wealth. That's not the whole key, but that's a big part of it. And that's a great way to start. And then go from there. But I'm not going to tell you everything. <laughs> but that's the, the, the thing. The imagination is so key to that intuitive essence and that intuitive energy. Um, so the left, the left eye, the right brain, that comes second. And then the work that we're doing now with the holographic sound is beginning to blend the left and right eye together, creating what we know as the middle eye. Or as we move higher in consciousness, the third eye. And then beyond that, the eye of God. And that's all comes from the mystery school teachings. You want to really delve into mystery school teachings? Read the Keys of Enoch. The Keys of Enoch, uh, this is a book that was written by Dr. J.J. Hurtak. And it, it's kind of like reading a textbook or another version of a Bible, you know, the way it's written. It's kind of a hard read. But it's, uh, it's amazing information, and, and it's one of those books that you read it over and over and over because every time you read it, you're going to get something different, or it's going to expand on what you first understood. Um, and it's all about working with the, the mystery schools. Mystery school teachings overall they're the, the higher vibrational teachings that move us into higher consciousness. That's the purpose. That's, that's the purpose of the mystery school teachings. It's, it's originally referred to as the mystery school teachings because it was only a select few that were able to walk into that vibration. Now it's open to anyone that wants to walk into that vibration. So, mystery schools. And, and another thing, in Egypt, the, there's the, in the hieroglyphs at the Temple of Horus, which is, Horus is the 
also known as the Falcon God in Egypt. He's got a, a mask that he wears, which is a head of the falcon. And in that temple, in the hieroglyphs, it talks about, well, actually, it talks about the lowering of our vibration. And the reference that it gives is how Set, the brother of Osiris, steals the left eye or the right brain teachings and hides it away. And that's symbolic of our vibration dropping. You know, because Set, Seth, Set, he's referred to with both names, steals the eye and hides it away. And that. And that's the eye of Horus, you said? Yeah. That's the that eye makes sense because then the eye of Ra is the right side. No, no, they're both the no, eye. Okay, of they're just okay. They're sometimes referred to as the eye of Ra, but it's actually the eye of Horus. The reference to the eye of Horus has to do with the mystery school teachings, and there's a lot of confusion around. You know, you look at Egypt and the religion, so-called religion or traditions around Egypt, they talk about having all these different deities and multiple gods and all this stuff. That's really not true. There was always only one God, ultimately. There were these other beings, these other deities that were present, just like you look into, at the Christian religion or, or Judaism, <clears throat> and you've got all the angels. Yep. It's no different. I, I think that's a really important point you bring out, right? Because I think for a lot of the people who, you know, kind of subscribe to the viewpoint of atheistic science, right? That, um, you yeah. know, one of the things they point to is, oh, these religions are all so different. But it's, I think it's one, you have to recognize that God as a concept is very different than maybe we've been led to believe or a lot of folks. And right. two... If you don't believe in the existence of higher higher dimensional beings or you know even extraterrestrials with advanced technologies, you have to parse through that. It's a lot more complicated situation than yeah. just saying God or no God. Right, right. It really is. It's it's a little. It's not quite. It's not so black and white. Um, and the thing with the Egyptian traditions, you know, you've got Ra who is known as the sun god. And sometimes people will look to Ra as, oh, he's the, the one that they call God. Well, in truth, Ra, while Ra is the essence and the energy of the sun, and the sun most definitely is a life-giving energy. We would die in hours if the sun went dark would freeze, would literally freeze to death. We would just die, and it wouldn't take any time at all. And the thing is, though, is there's an energy behind Ra. This is the cosmic or the universal consciousness. That's the energy behind Ra or behind the sun. And that is known as Ptah. And Ptah is that universal consciousness energy. And that energy feeds Ra, the sun god. And then everything else disseminates from there. The deities, the energies. You know, truly, if, if you look at the sun and imagine that uh, on each ray of the sun, there is a being 
that at the you follow the ray down and there's a being on each ray and that shows our oneness with everything is how we're all connected and that was that was an interesting concept i i heard that reference uh by uh michael beckwith the reverend dr michael beckwith and he used that reference one time to refer to God and, and our oneness. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a good, it gives us a good visual of how we really are connected to one another, that we really are one with one another. And we get so separated. I mean, there's so much separation going on. on the, that's part of the chaos that we're experiencing on Earth right now. But... But again, we really are rising above that. The chaos is still happening, but we're rising to a point, many, many are, to a point to where we're not being so affected by that chaos. And so as we keep in that rising vibration, we're going to reach a point, or we are reaching a point, to where the shift is occurring. And I have a sense of what that might look like, but I don't really know for sure. You know, it'll just be interesting to see. Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to see. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dr. Paul, this has been such a blast. Um, if folks want to learn more about holographic sound or taking any of your, um, your seminars or doing a trip with you, where should they go? Uh, go to holographicsound.com. That's H-O-L-O-G-R-A-P-H-I-C-S-O-U-N-D.com. And um, have a, a journey to Egypt coming up in April. Uh, several holographic sound healing certification trainings coming up, one in January, one in February, one in March. Uh, January's in Dallas, February's in Austin, Texas. Uh, marches in Denver. Um, another coming up in June, which uh, is not fully completed on the schedule yet, but will be in uh, most likely in St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, always developing and always available. So it's it's been an extraordinary journey, and it's just mm -hmm. going to keep growing and growing. I'm sure. <laughs> absolutely if you can make that trip to egypt it's life-changing experience i can uh, highly recommend if you come if you go you will not be the same person that goes that comes back yeah. you know you will experience a life-changing experience of, of activations beyond what you can imagine right now it's it's pretty extraordinary and then, of course, now, Jordan, you haven't mentioned anything about our journey to Petra. Oh, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. I wanted to talk about that. That, uh, that was pretty amazing. See, that was my first time there as well. Yeah. And, uh, wow, what a, what a place. Yeah. It was so, I mean, 
I think that I like I was excited to go and I've always wanted to go to Petra, but I was so just excited about Egypt, right? And that trip that like yeah. I was kind of just like, all right, then that'll be the part at the end, you know. And even like being totally candid, like as we we're going to Petra, I was so tired at that point. I was like, ah, why'd I do this? <laughs> you know? Me too. I was ready to go. <laughs> yeah. And then you get there, there and it's just like, yeah. 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 So what was that experience like for you? Oh man, it was, it was awesome. You know, just to, to see those places, you know, to like, I, I really like Indiana Jones, you know, and to see the temple where the last crusade part, where it was partly filmed was, that was just, that was just really cool. Um, And the thing is about it, you know, it's like, they they know a lot, but they know so little at the same time of like the older, some of the older uh, structures and everything is carved into the mountain. You know, it's not like it was built outside, though it was carved in the mountain. That's just phenomenal. And. And the older ones you know, like the the monastery, the big one up on the mountain, and the other one, what was what's the name of the other one? The treasury. They don't know who did that. They have ideas, but they're not sure. And then some of the newer ones were Greek and Roman, which still are pretty pretty darned old. <laughs> but it was it was pretty amazing. It was an amazing experience. And then of course the Dead Sea was extraordinary as well you know and it brought it brought home you know some of the stories we hear growing up about you know religion that you know around moses and jesus and all that stuff and then to go to where they walked you know to where they experienced life i mean it's like it kind of puts a whole different uh uh, perspective on uh, on what we learned growing up as kids. I mean, it's like this stuff. You know, at least some of it really happened. You know, totally, totally. And it's it was it, amazing. It was, and you know, I'm I'm glad you bring that up too because for me growing up, um, I was I my dad was Jewish, my mom was Catholic. You know, we weren't super religious. I did have a bar mitzvah, but. Never felt strongly connected to it. And then like, as I got older, you know, learning more about organized religion, I think I really had an aversion to a lot of the the principles that I felt were forced on. Yeah. Yeah. But then you go back to the source text and what they're actually saying. And it's so beautiful and so rich and so relevant for, for our lives today that I think it really brings a lot of magic to those places we got to see. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, you know, the, the original text, I think, holds a lot of great information for us. Unfortunately, you know, man has gotten a hold of a lot of it and twisted around <laughs> for their yeah. purpose. And that's, you know, that's just totally too bad. It's just, it's too bad. You have to really I interpret between the lines to, you know, to, to get the true essence. Yeah. You do. You do. It's like a lot of folks, you know, chapter three, verse 16 says this. So now you have to give me your money. Like what? Yeah, right, <laughs> I don't right. know about that. <laughs> right. So where does it say I have to give you my money? I, I missed it. Yeah. 
What chapter is that in? It's too funny. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dr. Paul, thanks again for joining. We will um, share that meditation for folks as well. And so uh, really excited to share that as well. I mean, every meditation I've gotten to do with you has been really, really uh, powerful. Thank you. Thanks. And it's been great being here. Uh, it's a true pleasure, Jordan. Thanks. Thanks, Dr. Paul. And I will see you uh, when you're in town in Denver here soon. Okay, cool. Sounds good. Take care. Look forward to it. Thanks to everyone for being here, being present, and uh, sharing your energy and vibration with us. Much love. Much love. Thanks everyone for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. In this discussion, Paul discussed the healing modality of holographic sound, which blends the use of sound and sacred geometry. We further discussed how crystal sound bowls, loosely aligned with our seven major chakras, facilitate this healing by moving energy throughout our body with resonant frequencies. On Substack, I've included a graphic showing this correlation between the human physiology and the C scale. Now, the hardened materialists out there are reluctant to acknowledge the existence of a chakra system, much less the idea that sound could actually produce healing effects. I understand the skepticism, especially when we continue to live in a medical paradigm dominated by the idea of a pill for an ill. When we've been led to believe that pharmaceuticals, which require hundreds of millions to pass FDA trials, are the only tools for healing the human body, the idea that sound could profoundly heal both physical and mental ailments can sound downright crazy. But is it possible that our current pharmaceutical paradigm is the crazy one? Back in 1984, America was still ranked among the world's healthiest populations. An August 2021 study, however, by the Commonwealth Fund ranked America's healthcare system dead last among industrialized nations with the highest infant mortality and lowest life expectancy. Since 1984, allergic, autoimmune, and chronic illness have mushroomed to inflict 54% of American children, up from 12.8%. Coincidentally, this is the same time period during which NIAID has been run by its current leader. By this decade's end, obesity, diabetes, and prediabetes are on track to debilitate 85% of America's citizens. America is also among the 10 most overweight countries on earth. We must confront the harsh reality that our current healthcare system is broken and finally ask ourselves why. Is it possible that the current healthcare system favors big pharma profits over the health and actualization of human potential? Could the condescending aphorism to trust the science miss the fact that the science is owned by those who control the funding for research? And that those who control the funding are disincentivized from investing in research into cheap alternative healing modalities? Because once a patient recovers, those in the pharmaceutical industrial complex no longer generate revenues from said patient. As we acknowledge the uncomfortable truths about why our current healthcare system doesn't work, it's my firm conviction that modalities like sound healing will be a critical component of the new paradigm. I'm grateful that men and women like Dr. Hubbard have dedicated their lives to developing these techniques. Please now enjoy this 13-minute holographic sound meditation prepared by Dr. Hubbard. So just begin to focus on your breathing. Focus on the inhale and the exhale of your breath. Remember to set your intentions and set those intentions in a positive manner like it's already done 
like the masters, the guides, the experience that you want to have, see yourself having it now. If it's about transforming physical or emotional stuff, see it done. See it completed. See yourself in your purest strength and health and harmony and balance. See it done now. It's not going to happen. It is now. It's happening right now. And that's the way to see it. And then feel it and know it. So set those intentions and breathe.
and as you breathe, knowing with the vibration that's created, every cell in your body is illuminated in harmony, in wholeness and balance and joy and love and goodness and good health. Every breath that you breathe in affirms this truth, this knowing. Every cell in balance, in harmony, in joy and goodness. As you breathe, as you breathe, with every breath becoming more and more present, grounding the intentions that have been set and met right here and now. As you breathe, being present, 